0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can expand your sustainable NESG opportunities with insights from leaders in the field. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these weekly conversations about developments in this fast-growing industry. I'm very excited to speak with today's podcast guest, Jake Moeller. He's a senior investment consultant at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research in London. And one of his responsibilities is focusing on ESG and responsible investment and research. Hello, Jake, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: Jake, 2020 will almost certainly be remembered as the year when ESG and responsible investing joined global daily news feeds in the world of finance, initially related to environmental and social impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic but then also through large increases in assets under management, due to ESG strategy outperformance across asset classes during this year's period of high market volatility. Jake, if you would share a couple of 2020 ESG and responsible investing developments that were part of this global trend, but were influenced more or less by regional regulatory infrastructure, whether it was in the UK, the EU, APAC markets, or the U.S.
1: Thanks, Paul. Well, you're definitely right to say that COVID has highlighted responsible investment issues. Uh, Press coverage, certainly here in the U.K., has increased dramatically, and you only have to go online to LinkedIn to see how popular ESG and responsible investing issues have become as a discussion topic. To the extent uh, that more evidence of outperformance, as you uh, have alluded to there, of responsible and sustainable funds during the COVID crisis uh, becomes available, this has certainly too crystallised attention. Uh, when good performance data backs up a thesis, uh, it really does help. Um, it is important, however, to recognise that responsible investing, though, was climbing up the charts in terms of popularity prior to the COVID pandemic. Uh, certainly environmental issues were getting a lot more uh, news flow. Uh, Greta Thornburg has been doing a a very um, big job of of promoting environmental issues. There's been a huge popular documentary here in the UK that has uh, given us all a little bit to think about in terms of plastics and and the oceans, Uh, but also governments around the world have been creating legislative tailwinds in this area uh, for some time. I mean, interestingly, the UNPRI um, has some great data that shows that 97% of all sustainable finance initiatives have only come about since 2000 and have seen seemingly grown exponentially from there. Uh, in 2019, there were over 500 policy interventions globally, and I think that is quite a considerable amount. Um, the UK here, we've been doing a lot um, mainly from institutional side. Uh, In 2020, we've introduced statement of investment principles, which is forcing trustees of institutional pension funds to to think about what they're doing from a responsible perspective. In Europe, you've got the development of the European taxonomy, which uh, is is going to um, restrict the way that fund managers describe and market their funds. And there's the uh, recent sustainable financial disclosure regulation, which is going to impact advisors and the way that they uh, market their funds as well. And, of course, uh, you've got stewardship codes which have been developed all around the world, including a number of developing market countries. Uh, The one notable exception, Paul, is uh, the U.S.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, I'm glad you made that the last point of your remark. And I think it would be helpful if you could uh, send uh, a link to the UNPRI uh, document that you've referenced, and we'll include that in the attachments tab of this program. But back to the U.S., Uh, the incoming Biden presidential administration will definitely dedicate time and resources to rejoining and achieving the objectives of the Paris Climate Agreement on greenhouse gas emissions. And both governments and some companies in the UK, the EU, and the US, as you've mentioned, are making net zero carbon emissions commitments for some point in the future, whether it's 2030, 2050, or 2060. How are these policy and regulatory choices going to influence corporate business models, and in what time frame?
1: Well, I think the impact is going to be um, very quick. Um, We're not talking about huge timeframes here at all, Paul. Uh, In Europe, as I I mentioned, the new sustainable financial disclosure regulation that comes into effect in 2021, uh, March next year. And that's pretty much going to really restrict greenwashing, certainly in in Europe and the UK. So a lot of disclosure requirements there for fund managers to to, uh, consider. Um, there's a, a, a Price Waterhouse Coopers report, and perhaps we can put this in a link as well. Um, By all means, yes. Yeah, it's called the Growth Opportunity of the Century, and it, it outlines some of the key factors driving ESG growth. Uh, and this has reported that 77% of institutional investors intend to stop purchasing non-responsible product by 2022. So I mean, that's a considerable incentive for for companies to start thinking about this. Um, Asian countries have been doing their bit. China has been developing a low carbon transition path. Uh, Japan has been flexing its muscle through its government pension investment fund and trying to to, um, increase the way that um, we invest passively. the U.S. as a federation of states has always had challenges in coordinating uh, legislative initiatives. And I don't need to tell you too much about that, Paul, but if Delaware <laughs> if Delaware wasn't the repository of some of the Laxus corporate government standards in the U.S., uh, another state probably would be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and perhaps if Biden coming from Delaware, that, that might change. You know, other issues like the ERISA legislation in the U.S., Seems to have been settled by the DOL. I don't know whether it's the most optimum outcome there, but fiduciary duty in the U.S. is certainly now being challenged, um, and I think that can certainly be a, a good thing. Uh, you know, and you're seeing U.S. data become much more supportive. Uh, U.S. the U.S. SIF uh, reports that um, uh, 33% now of total assets under professional management in the U.S have some sort of uh, ESG overlay to it so that's a positive sign but it, it flows down to companies Paul companies throughout the world are going to be penalized by higher funding costs if they don't show that they are responsive now to uh, ESG issues and that they're avoiding harm mm. uh, and this is this is already happening you know cost of capital for, for companies that that aren't doing this is is beginning to increase uh, and that that's going to be a rising tide that floats all boats I think
0: Okay. Now, Jake, a moment ago, you used the phrase non-responsible product. I'm not sure uh, how many folks in our audience uh, um, use that in their day-to-day work. I don't hear it very often when in conversation with the advisors that I work with. Could you explain that a little bit more, please?
1: Yeah. Uh, apologies. In the UK and Europe, responsible investing is, is a term now that we are using to uh, refer to any sort of uh, investment that has a, res- a, a an overlay with ESG or sustainability at its core I um, see. so we, we've, we've started to move away from from the use of ESG hmm. uh, uh, ESG is rather prescriptive and and we consider that as a, an input so um, again the terminal the terminology usage around this area is certainly something that um, uh, needs to be standardized to uh, help educate, I believe. Yes,
0: I completely agree with you. And fortunately, some of the analytics bodies uh, that uh, are part of that process here in the US are starting to come together uh, with g- uh, global initiatives as well. So um, let's, let, that's, a, that's a good segue to my next question, which is how has the COVID-19 pandemic change the way that Square Mile does ESG and responsible investment research and company analysis? And what additional pandemic-related changes do you anticipate in 2021 that these regulatory um, organizations might want to consider as well?
1: Well, uh, we rate all of our funds uh, from an ESG perspective, and we allocate a score to them based on uh, how we feel that they um, are committed to, to integrating ESG criteria. Um, increasingly, though, we are beginning to consider more than just ESG integration. Uh, as I said, we see ESG analysis as being an input into the broader investment decision-making process uh, rather than an end in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, for example, we have now started increasing our coverage of funds which have a stated objective of a responsible outcome. So um, this is, for example, a fund that says it's going to do something other than generate a financial return. Um, And this is being driven to no small extent by the pandemic. Um, Investors are changing their utility curve uh, to think not just about financial outcomes anymore, Paul, they are really, really beginning to think about societal outcomes. Mm The Pandemic has really restructured the way that investors are thinking about things, you know, financial performance is very important, but it's not just the only consideration. And as you said, uh, as you alluded to earlier, if your financial performance, and there's more evidence now that this isn't being compromised, um, uh, then, then, we are really getting increased demand to reveal how fund managers are responding to these non-financial challenges.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that has happened during the pandemic, of course, Jake, is that many people are not, um, in in your part of the industry, for example, are not meeting face-to-face with companies on a regular basis as they used to. Uh, A lot of these types of meetings Um, and analysis are happening over the airwaves. So uh, is there any impact um, that uh, on the way that Square Mile and other firms uh, are able to do deep dive analysis on companies that investors or financial advisors should be concerned about when it comes to reporting on uh, ESG and responsible metrics because of course, uh, in the US for sure, but uh, in other parts of the world, a lot of this reporting is done on a voluntary basis.
1: Yeah, I, it's a, 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 an interesting point. Um, we're actually finding now that disclosure is improving considerably, fund mm-hmm. managers, uh, this whole working from home disruption that we've we've all been subjected to is really freeing up a lot of time for a lot of advisors and fund managers to uh, spend with consultants like myself uh, to talk about what they're doing. Um, so you wouldn't think it necessarily, but uh, there, there has been a marked increase in transparency during this time, certainly at, at my level, with uh, fund managers really being happy to talk um, because they seem to have a bit more time. They're not commuting for three hours a day. Um, you know, they're, 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 and, and, and their sales teams aren't on the road, so they've really got to, they've really got to up their game a little bit uh, um, to, to keep their funds relevant. Um, the other thing I would point out is the market, uh, the advisory market especially, is really looking for guidance. Mm. Uh, uh, and you've already alluded to it, Paul, advisors are confused about the terminology Um, they're confused about what ESG actually means you know I I think things initiatives like this sustainable finance podcast you're doing are great initiatives that help with that and and we've been doing some online work as well. Um, We've also acquired a business called 3D Investing which looks at funds at an individual stock level uh, Uh to to, to map a portfolio back to a United Nations sustainable development goal Um, and we think that this is potentially a, a a way that things are going to change and and be driven by covid funds must provide evidence that they're not only avoiding harm which is excluding things but they are doing good and that they're leading change and i think in the next couple of years investors are really going to ramp up their demand for fund managers to prove what they say they are doing evidence uh, will be primary Um, and as i said before that, that filters down to a security level any company that doesn't get with that agenda is going to be paying more for its capital.
0: Mm. Yes, I, I, I was just reading this morning or yesterday, I'm sorry, that Goldman Sachs is, is zeroing in on the cost of capital, especially as it relates to the energy sector these days, uh, because what they're seeing is a significantly higher cost of capital now for um, fossil fuel related energy generation than Renewables. Uh, Absolutely. And, and they're shifting the, the entire focus of their energy portfolios. Let's talk a little bit, Jake, about the fixed income markets, because uh, a lot of the history of responsible and ESG investing uh, has occurred in the equity markets. And it's really only in, the, at least in my experience, in the last five or six years that the momentum has been building in the fixed income markets related to using these types of environmental, social, and governance metrics. So um, we've talked about the rapid growth in assets, and part of that is being directed to the fixed income markets. Can you give our listeners uh, some information on what portion of that growth in 2020 is due to the issuance of any of a number of the following types of bonds, green bonds, sustainability bonds, social bonds, and climate bonds. And by the way, this issuance, of course, as you know, is taking place at the corporate, the sovereign and the supranational level uh, in the global debt markets. So uh, uh, help our uh, advisor and investor clients understand a little bit more about how that market is integrating uh, responsible investing.
1: You're right, Paul. It is a fledgling market compared to the uh, equity market. But I'm very excited about green bond issuance. Um, Yes, it's a smaller component. If we, depending on which data source you go to, uh, probably at 90 trillion US dollars of of assets are uh, under some sort of ESG remit. Um, the, The green bond market is much, much smaller than that, but growing at a very, very fast rate. I think it's about 1 trillion. Um, But, you know, year to date, I've read various reports that figures are up around 200 billion US dollars of issuance, could be slightly higher. Um, And this is definitely a very exciting um, area. What it recognises from my perspective is that megatrends now, such as carbon transition, clean energy and social projects have become viable to uh, support a, a long term return. Mm. And this is a really, really encouraging sign. And if you look at green bonds, right, there's this, the spreads on them are not necessarily wider than the non-green alternatives. Right. Um, you know, I spoke with a green bond fund, fund manager uh, last week, um, and interestingly, he said that there's only been a single credit default that he's aware of in this space. So, you know, they're they're they're, they're good investment opportunities. Um, here in the UK, we've uh, last week, we've had uh, the announcement that we're going to issue our first green bond sovereign issue. Uh, and that's fantastic. You know That's a really good piece um, of the asset allocation puzzle. It's always been difficult, as you alluded to, for uh, um, portfolio managers to find a responsible way to allocate to sovereign debt. Um, but with sovereign issuance increasing, um, that, that little bit of the puzzle is going to be solved. Um, you know, the market's beginning to get it. Green bond projects can generate sustainable
0: returns, um, and, and this can only be seen as a, a great development. Yes, I agree with you. I think uh, since the, the fixed income markets ultimately are much larger than the equity markets, there's huge potential here. Um, uh, let's just talk a little bit more, Jake, about the idea of use of proceeds, uh, uh, when bonds are issued by, whether it's a government or a corporation, um, uh, what some people in, in responsible and sustainable investing are saying is, well, you, you have to look very carefully at the use of proceeds uh, contract for any green bond to make sure that there, it's the, the full potential of the bond is being used for, for green um, uh, funding issues, if that's the intent of the investor. Am I right about that? Or sometimes is this money split uh, to both green and, not, and let's say, brown initiatives?
1: Uh, it's, no, there's a, there's, there's a lot of work being done to uh, make sure that, that all these assets are quarantined within the, the issue itself. Uh, and as I, I mentioned before, you know they're structured like any other bond. Uh, they may be rated by a ratings agency, um, and typically their spreads uh, are not greater, necessarily greater than a, a, a non-green uh, equivalent. The fund managers themselves do a lot of due diligence on these projects, so they're kicking the tires. Uh, it's it, no one wants to be involved in any sort of scandal like this. Um, the bond fund manager that I spoke to uh, who did mention there had been a default. It was a, a it was a, um, a, a company that was desperately trying to raise um, capital through a green bond mm. because it couldn't raise it anywhere else. But these are very, very limited examples. Um, it, it's the, the, the projects are transparent. Um, The market's doing a lot of research on them. The bond fund managers are becoming very familiar with them. And also the gatekeepers, the researchers, the investment consultants um, are asking a lot of demanding questions before they're prepared to allocate any of their clients' funds to these sorts of uh, strategies.
0: Good. So Jake, looking forward down the road a couple of years, what ESG and responsible investment and research themes do you see rising to prominence uh, out into 2021 or even 2022, if you want to uh, look that far, that far forward. And, of course, what trends should investors and financial advisors be watching related to risk and opportunity across economic sectors when it comes to responsible investing?
1: Well, I feel that, if anything, the investor community is, um, is demanding much more in the way of proactive, sustainable outcomes from their fund managers. It's no longer enough just to exclude tobacco or alcohol or gaming from your portfolio. So this whole concept of exclusions and risk mitigation, I think has been um, replaced now by uh, opportunity seeking behavior. Mm. Um, And that's really going to to change the way that that, investors um, look for returns. Uh, But this isn't necessarily a new phenomenon. Um, In 2017, the Business Sustainable Development Commission had indicated that by trying to pursue the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, this could open up about 12 trillion US dollars of market opportunities. Mm. Um, The Global Commission on the Economy and Climate has estimated that there's about 90 trillion US dollars worth of infrastructure that's going to have to be um, spent before 2031 to try and get us to this low carbon transitional world. I, I mean, so the opportunities there for infrastructure and for, for energy transition are just going to be huge. Mm. Um, you know, if you're a, a company now that's going to be stuck with stranded stranded mining assets, uh, you're simply not going to survive. Um, And these these opportunities now are are no longer a a figment of some sort of optimistic utopia. They're actually being supported by uh, good performance. They're being shown that um, good companies appear to be uh, more resilient in a drawdown. And we've seen a huge drawdown this year with the COVID crisis. And I think now that expectation uh, will will remain with us. I think it's one of the things that will remain of this through this COVID crisis that we are now heading towards a world where it's not just enough to generate financial returns, but you have to show evidence that you're avoiding harm, you're doing good for society, and leading change towards a a, a world where um, we can all invest prosperously and and raise the tide uh, amongst all investors and shareholders.
0: Yes, Jake, well, thanks. I, you know, you, you, you've you just recently mentioned the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and it seems like there's a lot more focus on tying responsible uh, investing of all kinds back to that framework, which was agreed to by 191 nations back in 2015 in the at the Paris Accord. Uh, how much uh, emphasis does your firm uh, put on that 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 collection uh, of, of goals and objectives, which, as you mentioned, also come with dollar amounts uh, uh, for achievable uh, uh, renewable um, business opportunities along the way?
1: Well, um, we we bought a business, Paul that. Actually, maps portfolios from at an individual security level through to a sustainable development goal, and will actually show what proportion of a portfolio is um, tied in to one of these aspirational sustainable development goals. Uh, and I think this is the this is ultimately the future, uh, heading towards sustainable impact investing, where, in, where where investing really does become a force for good. Um, and uh, I'm very optimistic that we will get there sooner than we think. Mm. Um, COVID has driven a lot of change in the way trustees are thinking, in a way that advisors are thinking, uh, in a way that shareholders and investors are thinking. Um, Ultimately, you know, I think some industry organizations like the United Nations and their sustainable development goals were a little bit ahead of their time, but the fashion now has really, really changed. And uh, I think a lot of these SDGs, as we call them, will come into their own. Um, and uh, where the capital flows, um, only good things can come out of that. You know, it's, it's something I feel very excited about.
0: That's great. Yes. So, Jake, you've mentioned this business uh, that Square Mile Research has purchased uh, twice in today's call. What's the name of the firm again, please? Uh, 3D 3D Investing. If if it's possible to include something in the attachments tab of this program that will help our listeners find out more about 3D, that would be very helpful as well. So
1: absolutely, absolutely. Great.
0: Well, Jake, there's uh, always a lot more to talk about than we can cover in one of these podcast calls. Uh, So I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. My guest on today's podcast has been Jake Mohler, Senior Investment Consultant at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research in London. Jake, where can Sustainable Finance podcast subscribers learn more about your research and investment opportunities at Square Mile, and how can they get in touch with you for more information about topics we've discussed on today's podcast program?
1: Uh, Paul, let me um, thank you for um, being on your program today. I really appreciate the the, the conversation. Um, All our stuff is on the website, www.squaremileresearch.com.
0: Great. Well, thanks again to Jake Moeller of Square Mile Research. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast.